0: in the summer of 1987 i moved from new jersey to raleigh just in time to enter the fourth grade now for my money you will never find a more astute anthropologist than a child who has moved to a new town they are experts at quickly Identifying the local customs and adopting these new norms so that they might fit in, right? So what immediately stood out to me in my opening weeks of the fourth grade were the t-shirts and how they telegraphed a certain tension between what I surmised to be two great empires. One was called UNC and the other, in sea state. The one was represented by a stocky, sheep-like creature, the other by this stringy, wolf-like fellow. With all apologies to the prophet Isaiah, it was immediately clear to me that the wolf and the lamb were not lying down together and eating straw emblazoned in pale blue and deep red ink on gilded brand white cotton tees, I marveled at how these two mascots were locked in eternal warfare. Arch rivals. And to all the youngsters out there, I gotta tell you, as far as I could tell, the Duke UNC thing, that just didn't even exist yet. Well, mere months after I relocated to this strange land, on the evening of November 24th, 1987, there was a game hosted here in the newly opened Dean E. Smith Center. It was not a UNC state matchup. This was a a pre-conference exhibition game. And I wonder if any of you longtime Chapel Hill folks might recall this. The Carolina Tar Heels faced off against the men's national basketball team from the Soviet Union. Now, my tail end of the Cold War, raised on Reagan brain, was primed to say, hey, this will be the time when these two titans of college basketball will put aside their differences because nobody would cheer for the Soviet team, right? No. It was then at the tender age of nine that it became abundantly clear to me how deep a rivalry can go when I heard reports of NC State fans donning all of their red gear, making the trek from Raleigh to the Dean Dome, and cheering for the USSR against the lads in blue who played a mere 23 miles away. Unbelievable, I thought. So friends, when we talk about heresies and those who are labeled as heretics, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that it's two diametrically opposed forces. The absolute truth versus absolute falsehood, arch rivals. The truth is that the two are actually a lot closer to one another than you think. No more than 23 miles apart sometimes. Heresies are born of deep curiosity. There's a question before the church, something that's truly perplexing. There's discussion and inquiry, discourse and debate, and then usually after a long, long time, a decision is made. The church decides what is true and authentic to the tradition. And those who choose otherwise become heretics. Now, the word heresy is actually derived from the word to choose. So a heretic chooses a position that the church has deemed to be incompatible with the rest of the faith. So this morning, as part of our ongoing um, Everyone's Favorite Heresies uh, sermon series, we're going to talk about a bishop named Marcion who was named the arch-heretic of the church. In his reading of scripture, Marcion had noted what he perceived to be a, a tension between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. And we have two scripture readings this morning, one from each testament. And so I invite you to pray with me that our eyes, minds, and hearts might be illumined by these ancient words. Will you pray with me? Lord, you have authored a story, and it continues, and we pray that you open us to see the thread that runs through it all, a thread of deep love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. First reading comes from Exodus chapter 20. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and they trembled and they stood at a distance and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. For God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. Then the people stood at a distance while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Second reading comes from the New Testament, 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because God first loved us. These readings together are the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So have you ever heard it before? I, I I recognize that I might hear it more than most, but I bet you've heard it too. Sometimes it sounds like this. I love everything Jesus stands for, but I just can't get behind the angry Old Testament God. Or other times, somebody might express it this way. One thing I cannot figure out is how wrathful God can be in the Old Testament, but in the New, it's all about love and grace. How do you reconcile the two? Well, every time we ask ourselves those questions, we find ourselves on the same ground as Marcion. You can see the tension in the scriptures we read this morning, just a minute ago. Exodus presents us with a a people who are scared stiff and won't even approach God. They push Moses forward as their go between Then in 1 John, it's all God is love, perfect love casts out all fear. So Marcion was not crazy. The tension, it's real. And here it is worth noting that history's heretics, they were not terrible people who woke up saying, Today I will tear the church asunder. They were, in fact, incredibly thoughtful and faithful Christians. It's just that, for whatever reason, they simply could not resist a temptation to explain away that which didn't perfectly line up. They saw a tension in the faith and they wanted to resolve it. They encountered a mystery and they wanted to explain it. And who among us does not long for such clarity? Don't we want it to all make sense? Don't we want to put our faith in something that's logical and consistent? But again and again and again, the church has insisted that God will always be a bit mysterious. The church has insisted that the tension, it's not only plausible, it's It's necessary. But faced with these glaring discrepancies between how God was described in the Old Testament and how Jesus and Paul in the New Testament presented God, Marcion concluded, well, they must not be the same God. And so he taught Christians to discard the entirety of the Hebrew Bible. He taught that the Hebrew creator God was actually evil, that this God trapped our spirits in these material, fleshy bodies. But Jesus came to set us free. So Marcionism's in many ways a kissing cousin to that, the docetism that Meg talked about last week. Marcion even edited the Gospel of Luke so that it conveniently presented Jesus not as one who emerged from the Jewish faith, but rather as a spiritual teacher who made a decisive break. From the jewish faith now i believe that in his heart of hearts marcion was devoted to the story of a loving god the problem is that he didn't read the hebrew scriptures carefully enough because the old testament tells us of a god who makes an everlasting covenant with abraham isaac with jacob A God who delivers an enslaved people from their chains. A God who rescues Jonah from the belly of the whale. A God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. A God who gathers her young like a mother hen. A God who invites us to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. Nor did he read the New Testament carefully either, because... Well, the Gospels tell us about the time Jesus had a full-blown temple tantrum. Flipping tables over, he was so mad at the money changers profiting off the people's worship. And the New Testament tells us more than once how Jesus warned of judgment to come. And how Jesus became so frustrated with his followers because they could not internalize one single thing he tried to teach them. So yes... There is harsh wrath in the Old Testament, and there is harsh wrath in the New Testament, just as there is love and grace in the New Testament, but no more so than there is in the Old. Together, the two testaments tell us of a God who has been striving since the beginning of time to restore a broken creation to a state of blessing. My friend Jenny McDevitt wrote that this is a long, long story. A story we Christians did not begin, but a story that has graciously swept us up within it. But For whatever reason, Marcion could not see the entire sweep of that story. He thought that only the Christian chapter mattered. And that so easily becomes the idea that only the Christian God matters, and that is but a tragic hop, skip, and a jump away from thinking that only Christians matter. That Christians are somehow more important, more worthy than Jews or any other people for that matter. History's already illustrated what happens when ideas like that begin to take shape. That's why Marcion's ideas were dangerous. That's why his ideas became heresy. In separating our stories, he risked separating two distinct but deeply connected branches of God's family. And even if it's as little as 23 miles apart, the love of God seeks to close the distance between any people and we are called to follow in that way that's why in a moment when we invite our elders and deacons to come forward and be ordained we're going to ask them a number of questions one among them will be do you accept the scriptures of the old and the new testaments to be by the holy spirit the unique an authoritative witness to Jesus Christ and the church universal in God's word to you? It's a pretty long question, right? But ultimately, it is a promise to hold the whole story together. To acknowledge that this united story marches in the direction of love and justice And to open ourselves to the possibility that this story has lovingly and graciously swept all of us up within its grand arc. So all praise to God, who is both creator and savior. Amen.